You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Baggernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we're going to start off with a little bit of news and notes. There's not that much. Very confident it won't take very long. And then I would like to move on to looking at linebackers and doing it a little bit differently. Kind of the same thing, but as I went through it, it didn't... It just kind of took me in a different place, and we're going to just walk down that different place. But before we get into the, any of that kind of goodness, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Thank you very much for Brandon for jumping in on Patreon. Again, if you like the show and you'd like to support the show, it would be very, very much appreciated. And you can do it for as little as a dollar a month over at patreon.com slash pack underscore daddy. We are going to be doing a giveaway every single month. One dollar is one entry. Anyways, mixing up the format a little bit, let's talk about the XFL. It's funny because I knew when I posted this there would be some people that are upset. Because there's always the, you know, how dare you talk about anything but the Packers crowd. And this isn't even the NFL, so this is like way off into, you know, goofy land. But I was looking at the NFL schedule about what's coming up, and um, the answer is pretty much nothing. There was nothing going on until the Combine, and that is like a month away. However... After the Super Bowl, which I suppose is a thing, but I'm talking about in terms of things to, you know, newsworthy, Packer-related things. The XFL starts right after the Super Bowl. So I was just curious which XFL team people were going to be rooting for. So I did do a post in the Facebook group, and I also did decide on a team before I posted this. Um, But the number one team by a mile by a mile, is the St. Louis Battlehawks. Now, I thought about them as sort of my number two team because they are literally the only Midwestern team, the only team that isn't basically a coastal team. Right? You got L.A., you got two Texas teams, you got New York, D.C., Seattle, and Tampa. Those are all along the coast there. St. Louis is the only one that's in the middle. So I thought about it, but, you know, I don't really like St. Louis. And so I made my decision the same way I make a lot of my decisions. And just think, if I went to, if I had to go watch one of these games, let's say this gets huge, and I decide, man, I, we're going to, I'm going to pack it up, and I'm going to travel to go watch one of these teams. Where do I want to go? And so it was pretty simple. I am now officially a Tampa Bay Vipers fan. Me, James, Billy, and Chris, man, Tampa Bay all day. There's also apparently an additional team that Todd will be rooting for, that is the Seattle Schlips. Uh, I don't think that is an official team, but I appreciate the support, and I will do my best. But anyways, I was just curious. In an attempt to not anger the uh, the purists, let's move on. So the news about the CBA has been kind of going back and forth. The first thing I had mentioned to you is that there's a very good chance this gets done, I believe it was prior to the Super Bowl, 
And then later, apparently, the union had sent out a letter to the members that contained something very discouraging to the effect that this isn't going to get done. Now, like I kind of talked about with some of the players and what the GM says at the podium, some of this could just be negotiation tactics, because obviously this is going to become public. But as I mentioned, the big hang-up is the 17-game schedule. Apparently, if it wasn't for the league's insistence on this, the, the CBA, this, which, if you don't know, it's, it's, in a, it's a contractual agreement between essentially the league and the players. The NFLPA has to negotiate a contract which expires at the end of this year, and there's concern that if they can't come to a conclusion that there could be a work stoppage, i.e. players say we're not playing anymore. Something that is interesting about this is part of the CBA has to do with, obviously, players wanting more revenue. Well, how can the players get more revenue if each team has a salary cap? Well, the league would have to increase the salary cap. Meaning there's a possibility the Packers are about to get hit with an infusion of, of, not really an infusion of cash, but an allowance to spend more than what they are currently allowed to. In other words, the salary cap could be increased, and some people think massively increased. Now this is as, as negative as it is positive, because it means if, if the Packers are in a position to get a player, now there's suddenly more teams that are in a position to take that player. But it does help the Packers to at least be able to do what it is that they need to do. If nothing else, it makes it very easy for them to re-sign and possibly negotiate even bigger contracts for their guys. Guys like Kenny Clark, where maybe they're kind of hung up on a couple million bucks. You know, one side wants to do no more than 18, the other side wants to do no less than 20. Maybe a bump up would get the Packers to the point where they're like, look, all right, fine, 20. I I don't care. But uh, the, the reason I keep bringing it up is because this is a really big deal. It might just be a minor thing where we don't even really notice, and it's kind of just something that the players notice. It could be a massive thing like a jump in the salary cap in a 17th game this season. So it's it's a pretty big deal. we got to see what exactly happens. I personally would be surprised if there's a 17th game because it's not just about money. A lot of the players, it, it is about money. Like, why would I play another game for the same amount of money? But you got players like Emmanuel Sanders who played 17 games this past year because of the trade. He never got that bye week, and he's like, dude, I'm not doing that again. That was horrible. And is still playing, so he's he's got a serious grind going on. Um, again, not really Packers news, but the reason I bring this stuff up is because it changes the landscape of the NFL, which is where the Packers play in. Also, some of these teams we're going to be playing next year. So these are all things to keep an eye on. They all change everything. If we're monitoring salary caps, who has money, who doesn't, who might be stealing these guys, who might become available. Right, if they re-sign, if somebody re-signs a massive quarterback, guess what? They don't have money to re-sign that one wide receiver that maybe we can pick up. If somebody, uh, for example, cuts a very expensive or doesn't re-sign a very expensive quarterback like Phillip Rivers, the odds of them being able to sign a very talented tight end like Hunter Henry go through the roof. Here's the interesting thing on that story, though. I mentioned to you already that Philip Rivers had already packed up his family and uh, moved to Florida. So when that news kind of broke yesterday, you were probably already aware of that. And the word is that the Chargers have basically moved on. However, they may be looking to franchise tag him. Reason being, I'm assuming, would be so that they can tag and trade him and get some kind of compensation rather than just letting him walk. A franchise tag this year is $26.895 million, meaning... If the Chargers are going to be able to trade him away, somebody's going to have to be willing to pay Phillip Rivers $27 million to come play. Now, I don't know exactly what the plan is, 
but I know he moved to Florida. I believe he wants to play in Florida. The, the speculation is that he will play in Florida. Miami almost assuredly is going to be drafting a quarterback. Jacksonville's got Minshew Magic. Tampa Bay is the one that's kind of interesting. They're probably planning on drafting a quarterback, but what's to say they don't pay that money for one year whilst having one of the most talented receiving groups anywhere in the NFL and focus on building elsewhere? And the reason I bring that up, maybe I'm dreaming a little bit, but I'm just saying if you're spending $27 million on your quarterback, maybe you don't need your number three wide receiver. I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm just saying. Just let him go. You don't need that much talent at wide receiver. Nobody does. You're just being greedy. Just let Brashad Perriman walk, dude. Just like the Browns let him go. Everybody's let him. Just let him go. Just let him flutter away. It's more of a dream than a prediction, but I'm going to go ahead and call it a prediction just because I want it to come true. So the prediction is Chargers will franchise tag Phillip Rivers. The Buccaneers will go out and pay that to bring Phillip Rivers to Tampa Bay. And both Indomitian Sue and Brashad Perriman will walk away. No, I'm not saying we're going to pick up Indomitian Sue. I just thought I'd throw that in there as well because they're not going to pay him. And that makes me happy. And I suppose I might as well round that out and then we pick up Rashad Perriman. There you go. It's one of those things that's probably not going to happen and it's not a big deal if it doesn't happen. But if it does, I'm going to replay this audio like weekly. I'm going to be sending it out to the radio stations. I'm send it to my grandma. She doesn't even care. But I'm going to tell her, bragging it up. What up now, Grandma? Just dunking on her, man. Speaking of this very fun time of teams not having money to resign players, etc., etc., somebody that's going to be hard for a team to retain, not impossible, but difficult, is the Chicago Bears pass rusher Leonard Floyd. Apparently, if they want to pick up his fifth-year option, it's going to cost them $13.2 million. Khalil Mack, in 2020, has a salary cap hit you ready for this? Hold on. So so let me let me set the stage for you. In his first year in 2018, they, they had a cap hit of 13.8 million bucks. That's nothing. 2019, 11.9 million dollars. Not a big deal, right? Guess what it is this year? 26.6 million dollars. That's got to feel so good coming off a season in which the guy had like two and a half sacks. It's an exaggeration, but I mean, it might as well have been. It's just got to feel so good. He is by far the highest paid player. The next highest paid is Allen Robinson, who is wildly overpaid at $15 million. And then Leonard Floyd, who is also going to be overpaid if they retain him at $13.2 million. The only guy that seems to be paid somewhat appropriately is Akeem Hicks at eleven point eight. By the way, I, I think I said this last year, if the Bears are smart, get rid of Allen Robinson. I know you don't have anybody else. And I know you also don't have a first-round pick to get some top-tier wide receiver. But you do have two first-round picks, so you could jump up into the first if you wanted to or just sit there and end up getting a wide receiver. The bottom line is, though, you can save $13 million by moving on from Allen Robinson. You might even be able to trade the guy. I, I mean, it's probably not because it's $15 bucks. But that is just not worth anything. That's, that's silly money. And the reason they need to do that is because they only have $6 million in cap space right now. That's not enough to do anything. After you go out into free agency, after you re-sign your free agents, after you sign your draft picks, you should be sitting at seven, eight, nine, ten million. By the way, Danny Trevathan is a free agent. Chase Daniel, the better of their quarterbacks, is a free agent. Haha Clinton Dix is a free agent. Sherrick McManus, who's a very good slot corner, is a free agent. Aaron Lynch is a free agent. Ted Larson, who is a guard, which by the way, because they just had an offensive lineman retire, you might need that depth, is a free agent. Kevin Pierre Lewis is a free agent. 
Got three other offensive linemen that are free agents. Their long snapper is a free agent. Nick Kwiatkowski, obviously, is a free agent. Roy Robertson-Harris, the defensive lineman that lit us up in week one, is a free agent. Eddie Jackson is the only free agent that they've signed so far, and by the way, that cost them $14.6 million. They are not in a good spot right now. As glorious as that is to say, I wish I could just sit here and just read this over and over again. I mean, since we're on it, let's just talk about it. Kyle Long retired, right? James Daniels is a starter. Ted Larson is their next up guard to play right guard. He's a free agent. you got to resign him. Otherwise, you have Alex Bars and zero other guards, meaning you don't have a single guard that can fill in. You have a backup center who's only signed through 2020, Corey Levin, but you got nothing else. You've got four tackles. Two of them are free agents. None of them are your starters. However, you have TJ Clemmings, who was injured the entire season, Cornelius Lucas. By the way, Bobby Massey was hurt for five games. So if Bobby Massey goes down another five games and you don't have Cornelius Lucas or TJ Clem, what, what do you, you don't have, any, you got to resign these guys. And again, Leonard Floyd, he's still signed through this year if you pick up his fifth year option. If you don't, you got Leonard Floyd and Aaron Lynch who are uh, free agents. By the way, Isaiah Irving is a restricted free agent. You have four edge rushers and three of them are free agents this year. <laughs> what are you going to do? Linebackers. They have eight linebackers. Four of them are free agents. Danny Trevathan, Nick Kwiatkowski, Devontae Bond, Kevin Pierre-Lewis. That leaves Roquan Smith, Joel whatever his name is, and Josh Woods. You got three, and then James Vauders, who's practice squad. Gotta sign somebody, man. I'm guessing it's not Nick Kwiatkowski because you got Roquan, who kind of plays that role. But, I mean, how old is Danny Trevathan now? He's 29 years old. He was injured for six games this year. Is that your guy? Or do you keep 26-year-old Kwiatkowski and let Trevathan walk? Because Kwiatkowski's probably going to cost a pretty penny, which, by the way, you don't have. I, I, I just, I need to know. I, wa- I want to know so badly what they're going to do. By the way, safety, exact same situation. Their safeties are comprised of HaHa Clinton-Dix, Dion Bush, Kentrell Bryce, Eddie Jackson, and DeAndre Houston-Cars. Three of those five are free agents. Actually, five of the five were free agents. They signed Kentrell Bryce. They re-signed Eddie Jackson. They still have HaHa Clinton-Dix, DeAndre Bush, and DeAndre Houston-Carson, all free agents. By the way, their special teams is just completely screwed. Their top special teams players, you know who they are? DeAndre Houston-Carson, free agent. Nick Kwiatkowski, free agent. Kevin Pierre-Lewis, free agent. Dion Bush, free agent. And that Joel guy. Oyegibuniway. This is a mess, dude. This is a mess. You can't even field a team without signing these free agents, and you don't have any money. Floyd's got to go. Leonard Floyd has got to go. Allen Robinson might have to go. This is, I'm sorry, this just makes me so happy. I'm hoping I'm making you happy because I just keep talking about it. I don't think there's more that I can say unless you want to look at who's only signed through this year, including their quarterback, Tariq Cohen, Allen Robinson, Cordero Patterson, Adam Shaheen, their kicker and their punter, and Amukamura and Kevin Tolliver, another corner. And then Leonard Floyd, if they do decide to pick up his fifth-year option, which I'm guessing he's going to be gone already. Oh, the joys. And by the way, things don't get better in 2021. It's not like, okay, yeah, so they got some free agents, but they got a ton of money in 2021. Nope. <laughs> they don't. Khalil Mack, $26.6 million. Guess what they're paying Kyle Fuller in 2021? Oh, Ryan Pace, I love you so much, dude. Kyle Fuller's contract is for $20 million. 
And if they decide not to pay them, because maybe they just won't pay it, they save 11, which means they're going to have to pay $9 million for him to not play. Doubt they're going to do that. Then they've got Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, and Eddie Jackson all above $10 million. Oh, and Charles Leno, which, give me a break. And on top of not having very much money because of all those contracts, they have another really extensive list of free agents they got to figure out what to do with, including Mitchell Trubisky, which may be the best-case scenario for the Bears at this point is to let your talent walk. Get rid of Allen Robinson. Get rid of your pass rushers outside of Khalil Mack. Let these guys walk. Let Mitch Trubisky play. Hope that you play horribly and then draft a quarterback real early next year. But you better be real bad, and I don't think you're going to be that bad. Because you finally get a first-round pick next year, so congratulations on that. But, uh, yeah, Prince of Mukamura, Allen Robinson, Mitch Trubisky, all the guys that I mentioned, free agents next year. And they have no money next year. Oh, Ryan Pace. I'm, he should have won Executive of the Year. He, he In my heart, he is the Executive of the Year. Not sure why these uh, writers' associations and whatnot gave him that award, because usually it's about who's a good GM. I'm not going to disagree, because he's run the Chicago Bears into the ground, and that makes me super happy. But, uh, yeah. So anyways, they might not sign Leonard Floyd. <laughs> that was the headline. I figured I would expand on it a little bit. Give you a little bit of backstory. And then finally, before we take our break, uh, some news about the DB coaches. Very glad to see they're going out and doing interviews again. I, I had said that it's possible they could just do a promotion from within, but it's always good to get fresh blood in. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me on the quality of our corners over the years and, and wanting to move on from the same old DB coaches we've had forever, the fact of the matter is you get a new coach in, they bring a different perspective. It's not like the old coach and everything they taught you has gone with that coach. Right? They might take something with them, some kind of qualities that the corners like, but in terms of the coaching and the things that they can learn, I don't know why you don't try to more regularly bring in new coaches. I mean, if things are working, leave it. But if it's not, just bring in a new, maybe a new fresh voice will help out. I don't know. Why not? I don't know how you can have a bad DB group for 10 years and have the same DB coach through that whole time. I don't get it. But uh, Jerry Gray is one of the names that's come through. A uh, very promising kind of guy. Not only has he been the DB coach for the Minnesota Vikings for a very long time, which, I mean, you know, they're not super great right now, but they've had some pretty good corner groups for a while. But before that, he was actually the defensive coordinator for the Titans. He was the DB coach for the um, Seattle Seahawks in t- uh, 2010. So that was just prior to the Legion of Boom, but he did have Earl Thomas on the team, for example. He was the DB coach for the Washington Redskins, 2006 to 2009. So there was nearly some overlap there. Uh, LaFleur started with the Redskins in 2010, so right after he left. He was the Buffalo Bills defensive coordinator from 2001 to 2005 and the Tennessee Titans DB coach from 1999 to 2000. So it's always kind of a good thing to see. For me, when I see a guy that's been a DB coach and then a defensive coordinator and then he gets demoted and then promoted and then demoted, it seems like most guys, there's kind of that upper limit. And so you'll see there's some real good coordinators that are very good at being coordinators that get a shot at being a head coach. They can't quite pull it off or, or an, you know, an offensive coordinator, defense, whatever. And then they have to fall back. So the point is, though, you keep getting that promotion because you're so good, but you can't quite hack it at that level. So then you get demoted for another team. And so if we run it from the other perspective, he was a DB coach for the Titans, 99 to 2000. The Bills hire him as the defensive coordinator. He's that for several years presumably gets fired, and the Washington Redskins pick him up as their DB coach. He moves to Seattle as the DB coach, is there for one year, gets hired as the Titans defensive coordinator, right? Because obviously he's doing such a great job, we got to bring him on as our defensive coordinator. Doesn't quite pan out, so the Vikings bring him in as the DB coach. So 
I don't know for sure, but usually that's a good sign that he's a very good defensive back coach. That's why he keeps getting hired as a defensive coordinator. It's just that he doesn't quite do that good of a job as a defensive coordinator. If he did, you'd start to see him get talks about, first of all, he wouldn't get fired as a defensive coordinator. He'd be getting, you know, you'd be hearing about him possibly being a head coaching candidate. But instead, he gets moved back down to DB. So I like it. I'm a little bit nervous about the, the quality of play with the Minnesota Vikings, but as we know, that's a very small piece of the puzzle. I've gone through several examples in the past of not a lot of production and a coach getting hired away from a situation in which there's not a lot of production, and it works out pretty well. Matt LaFleur would be an example of that, although the jury's out a little bit on Matt LaFleur still. you got to be pretty excited, and uh, it's hard to say that you're pretty upset about a 13-3 and season. And again, Tennessee, terrible offense. They went way backwards when LaFleur showed up, something like from 13th to 29th or something crazy. So that's generally a good sign. I like seeing that. Uh, there were also some uh, meetings with, apparently with Tony Odin. Guys had a lot of jobs, kind of a similar span. He started in 1996 as opposed to 99, but he has had a lot of jobs and has spent a lot of time in the college rank. Started at Millersville University of Pennsylvania as an assistant defensive backs coach. You can't get much smaller than that in 96. He worked his way up to DB coach of Eastern Michigan in 2003. From there, got hired by the Texans in 2004 and 5 as a defensive assistant. LaFleur also worked with the Texans, but not at that time. Went to be assistant secondary coach for the New Orleans Saints 2006 to 2010. Promoted to secondary coach in 2011. Then got a DB back, uh, defensive back job with the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2010. 2013, DB coach for the Buccaneers. Cornerback coach for the Lions 2014 to 2017. And then DB coach for the Dolphins 2018 and 19. Now, he's been moving upward for a while. That's great, but I just I don't see a lot to get excited about in terms of resume. I mean, he did work with Darius Slay in the Lions, but I put that more on Darius Slay than anything. I don't think there's a coach that made him. Uh, Miami, you know, the first thing that stands out to me is that they had drafted a safety in the first round who wasn't doing very much. They traded him away to the Steelers, and he became just a freakishly dynamic player. I'm just not looking at a lot of places where it's like, wow, that was, you know, the Saints. Wow, they had a great defense from 2006 to 2010. So I don't know. I mean, he's he's getting promoted for a reason. He's constant. His name is always out there. The fact that, you know, he's only at a place for one or two years and then he gets a promotion or at least a lateral move. And now the Packers are looking for guys and this is one of the first guys that comes up on, on his list. There's got to be something going on. But it's just it's just weird. Maybe he's just really good at networking. He just knows everybody, so he's on everybody's roster. And when you're flipping through the Rolodex, like, oh, call up Tony. Guy's hilarious. Remember that joke? Remember that joke? You remember the joke. I'd love to get that guy in here. He's just he's a hoot. I don't know. I don't I don't know how these things work. Such a random like how does Tony actually I had heard that one of the ways that coaches do this, which is discouraging because you want to believe like there's this insider network and you just know these names and there's a really big name and it's like, I got to get that guy. Apparently one of the ways that they do it is they talk to their agent and say, hey, who's looking for a job? And then they go out and find somebody looking for a job. And apparently Tony's always looking for a job. So they're like, well, there's this Tony guy and he calls up Tony and Tony flies out because he's always looking. It's never as like awesome as I envision in my mind. Like there's just these rumors that are floating around about these elite guys that are really good at stuff. But anyways, there's Tony. We'll see how it goes. Anyways, let's take a break, and then we'll look at this whole linebacker situation. If you're looking for something fun to do this spring, maybe you should just head on over to Arizona for the Cactus League spring training. Great weather, great landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, and some incredible food. Ten stadiums, 15 teams, and 75-degree temperatures, not a bad combo. You can go watch the Brewers or, you know, 
one of at least 14 other teams if you're a fan of one of those. Get some autographs beforehand, eat a hot dog and some ice cream on a nice warm day. Just kick back and relax, man. Maybe when you're done, you go tour the craft breweries around town. Got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet, Goldwater. Maybe catch some live music. What a, I, yeah, I don't, I'm just, I'm trying to help you out, man. You do what you want to do. I'm sure you know how to Google stuff, but I'm just trying to hit that one thing where it's like, ooh, can do that there? Like, yeah, man, can totally do that there. I'm going to Arizona, right? That's, that's kind of what I'm looking for here. But if any of this sounds fun to you, plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. And by the way, today's show is sponsored by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real sports fans. Make sure you get in-depth coverage with no ads, no pop-ups, no clickbaity nonsense. Just solid sports writing that tells a story behind the story. You're going to get player profiles, deep dives, analytics, rankings, fantasy, great insights from some of the top writers in the nation like Jay Glazier, Mike Lombardi, Mike Sando, and a bunch of local writers as well. When you subscribe and download the app and tell them the kind of teams and sports you're into, they're going to make for you a personalized feed of stories. Just download the Athletic app, pick your favorite teams, and they're going to bring you the latest on the player and storylines that matter to you. If you're ready to get started, go to theathletic.com slash overtime for 40% off a yearly subscription. That's theathletic.com slash overtime. Make sure that is lowercase spelling. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so here is sort of the issue I ran into with linebackers. You know, the golden goose for linebackers is somebody who can play the run and cover. And it seems like the NFL has completely gotten away from the idea that a linebacker should be able to play the run. Just abandon it. If you listen to who everybody says are the best linebackers, they're for the most part coverage guys. I still can't get over the Quan Alexander thing. He is literally one of the worst run-defending linebackers in all of football. He got paid like $17 million, something ridiculous like that. Why in the world would you do that? Because he's fast, and he he's, he's a corner that stands in the middle of the field. I, I, I don't get it. I, have, I don't get it at all. But this is kind of where we're at. But here is kind of the thing. As I was looking at this, again, same program as the last couple days. I want to find a linebacker that's young that broke out. The interesting thing as I did this, though, is I found out for the most part you're either good against the run or you're really good in coverage. Very rarely do you find someone that's really good at both. For example, probably the top free agent linebacker is Corey Littleton. Corey Littleton fits the profile perfectly. He's 26 years old. He went from uh, 200 snaps graded under a 60 to 2018 playing over 1,000 snaps, getting a grade in the 60s, 
ranked as the 37th best linebacker to this past year in 2019, getting nearly an 80 overall grade and being the seventh highest graded linebacker. If you look at their war statistic, went from 0.03 to 0.14 to 0.2, which would be uh, linebacker 73, 27, and then ninth. If you read PFF's analysis, it's it's glowing. One of the best coverage linebackers in the league. Can run with tight ends. Can run with running backs. 18 pass breakups, six interceptions in the last two seasons. He posted a 90.6 coverage grade. Anything 90 or above is elite. Third best in the league. They go on below that and they talk about possible fits. What they said is his best fit because he's a cover guy, and I don't really understand why this would make sense, but apparently it does, is a 4-1-6 defense where you're the lone linebacker in coverage. Apparently the Rams ran that defensive personnel 55.3% of the time. So when they were looking for another team that runs that, the first team that came to mind for PFF was the Green Bay Packers. They said PFF gave the Packers a coverage grade of 88, which is 7th best in the NFL. 51% of their snaps are from zone. And the Packers run a 4-1-6 personnel 27% of the time, which is 4th highest in the NFL. And their final little blurb is if Littleton joined Mike Pettin's already talented defense, their combination of pressure and coverage could be unmatched. All of that gets me super excited. However, the second part of the first paragraph is what makes me a little bit nervous. Because let's, let's not forget, we are not in the Super Bowl right now. The Packers are not in the Super Bowl right now because the 49ers just ran all over the Packers to the point where there was nothing the Packers could do. And so they literally didn't even throw the ball. Eight completions. I cannot get over that. Here's the second half of the first paragraph. However, while potential suitors are going to love Littleton's ability to affect the passing game, he has had struggles against the run. His 50.8 run defense grade ranks 103rd out of 126 qualifiers over the last two years. That could hurt his value for teams looking for an all-around three-down linebacker. Corey Littleton is not a three-down linebacker. He is not going to help us against the run. Every issue that we've had against the run is only going to get worse with Corey Littleton than it was with Blake Martinez. So being able to cover, that's awesome. I just don't understand exactly the appeal of getting a guy that has no ability to help you against the run, especially when you're a team that massively struggles against the run, more so than you do against coverage. Yes, I understand we were terrible against tight ends and he would help with that. That's cool. But George Kittle wasn't the problem in this game. And if he was, it was his ability to block which Corey Littleton isn't getting off a George Kittle block, apparently. So yeah, I've got some concerns. Not only that, they, they posted, a, I went and found some highlights of Corey Littleton. And again, the thing that makes me nervous about highlights is I'm always looking from the standpoint of what is it that you're doing that nobody else can do. I'm seeing fumbles that he goes and picks up, which who cares? I'm seeing batted passes fall into his arms. I don't care. I mean, I'm sure he's done a good job. I mean, he was graded out fairly well. It just, it just makes me nervous. And the bottom line is, this isn't good enough. We, we go out and pay a ton of money for a linebacker like Corey Littleton, and then we still have to solve the problem of how do we stop the run. Because Corey Littleton is a liability against the run. And so if you continue on, you've got uh, Jamie Collins. Now, he doesn't super fit the prototype from the New England Patriots because he's 30. However, he, does, he did have somewhat of a breakout season this year. But then again, you look at Jamie Collins, 72 overall coverage grade, which is pretty good. 57.3 run defense grade. The guy had four games where he graded good or better. Four games. That's not That's not okay. Nick Kwiatkowski is definitely a little bit more balanced. Phenomenal pass rusher, for whatever that's worth. He had a 67 run defense grade, which is average, but at least it's not terrible. He had a 68 coverage grade, which is average, but it's not terrible. Although, usually he was terrible in coverage. He had one elite game against Detroit. Three other good games, but he also had one, two, three, four, five games under 60. He only played 10 games this year. So, you know, he's had some great success, and he seems to have certain things figured out, but there just doesn't seem to be that 
perfect player, which, you know, even Brashad Perriman had bad days, but just a lot of these guys make me nervous, and the problem is it's hard to find people that are good in both categories. Again, this is balanced, but average both against the run and coverage this year. And last year, Nick Kwiatkowski was uh, 71 against the run, 46 in coverage. So, you know, safer but lower upside maybe? I don't know. And so as I, the other interesting thing is as I looked at this, I said, okay, well, how many guys are good against the run and coverage? So we're talking 70 or higher in both run defense and coverage. you know how many? I think out of 99 linebackers, five. Five. Alexander Johnson out of Denver, elite run defense grade, 76 in coverage. Eric Kendricks, who was an absolute freak this year, elite run defense grade, 84.5 coverage grade. Demario Davis, New Orleans Saints, 83.5 run defense, 85 coverage. Luke Keekley, who is now retired. Maybe there's six. Did I mess this up? Oh, there's seven. How did I get that wrong yesterday? Whatever. Darius Leonard, Indianapolis Colts. Josh Bynes, who is the next person on our list as a free agent. 75.7 run defense grade, 73.2 coverage grade. And then Levante David out of Tampa Bay. 72.6 run defense grade, 91 coverage grade. So Josh Bynes is the only free agent who fits that list. He plays for the Baltimore Ravens, 6'1", 235. He's always been solid against the run. This was more of a breakout in terms of coverage. He's always been average or below average. This year, 73.9. His NFL passer rating when targeted was 46.1. So pretty solid. Problem is, it's an outlier. Would you expect him to stay that way, or is he going to drop again and be just another run defending linebacker who can't cover? Beyond that, he's 30 years old, so he doesn't fit that prototype that we're looking for, and he's probably just a run defender. Although he did pretty well in coverage this year, but that could be scheme. Maybe they weren't asking him to do much. I don't know. But it's his first year with Baltimore. Suddenly he can cover. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. But the the point is, it makes me wonder why really good linebackers don't go earlier. Because everybody understands how important it is to be able to play the run and cover, even though everybody just cares about coverage. But being able to actually find that guy is nearly impossible, and maybe that's why people just look for coverage linebacker. Maybe that's why defensive coordinators are loading up along defensive lines and then just getting coverage linebackers because there's no point trying to find a guy that can play the run and cover. I don't know. If that's the plan, fine. Let's get Corey Littleton and load up on more defensive linemen. Because even if we go back and look at the draft, how many of these guys that are elite players fit the profile? What about Devin White? Absolute. I mean, I love Devin White. I thought he was a freak. Loved watching him play in college, and maybe he will be. Devin White ended as the 80th best linebacker out of 99. He was one of the worst linebackers in all of football. He had a run defense grade of 47 and a coverage grade of 55. Garbage. His tackling grade was 46. His pass rush grade was a 53. He didn't do a single thing, even average, the entire year. Think about how badly we wanted Devin White, about how much of a dream scenario it would be if he actually fell to the Packers and we could take him, or possibly even trade up to get him. One of the worst linebackers in all of football. Now, Devin Bush was a little bit better, but he was average against the run and average in coverage. Probably not what you expect, considering the hype. How about Roquan Smith, a guy that people for two years now have been saying is a great linebacker? He's never been any good. I've been telling you that the whole time. He was 70th. His his run defense grade is a 53. His coverage is a 55. His pass rush is a 51. The only thing he does well is tackle. He got an 82. He's got a 52 overall grade. That's below average. 70th out of 99 linebackers. He's no good. For two years, he's been no good. Think how much hype there was about Roquan. He's garbage. Tremaine Edmonds. I loved Tremaine Edmonds coming out of college. He got an average uh, run defense grade. 
and a 51 coverage grade. He can't cover, which maybe you knew that coming out of college, but you thought he'd be real good against the run. He's not even at 70 in his second year with Buffalo. They know how to do defense out there. Tremaine doesn't so much. He had a below average overall grade. Even look at Leighton Vanderat. The guy was a freak in his rookie year. What happened this year? Injury, that's true. But he also had a 43.2 overall run defense grade in 500 snaps. It's not like he played one game. Coverage grade 65. 60th overall linebacker out of 99. I'm trying to find one good linebacker. I'm just going down the line. This is in order. First round draft pick linebackers in order. Devin White, Devin Bush, Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edwins, Edmonds, Leighton Vanderesh. The last five first round linebacker picks. They've all been bad. Not even good. I mean, mediocre. Devin Bush is mediocre. That's the best one so far. Rashawn Evans, next in line, 80th out of 99. By the way, I think I said somebody else was 80th. I had that kind of mixed up, but they're all very bad. Devin White is 77, whatever. Guess who's next in line? Hassan Reddick, 96th out of 99. I'm just going in order. Next up, Jared Davis for the Detroit Lions, 94th out of 99. Hassan Reddick and Jared Davis are like five of the worst linebackers in all of football. Recent early first-round draft picks. Reuben Foster isn't even playing. You, you just can't find one. You got to go back to 2015, Stephon Anthony. I don't even know if he's in the league anymore. Anthony Barr would be the next one. He was 53rd this year. Ryan Shazier isn't in the league. C.J. Mosley got a huge contract, but I don't know that he's worth that contract and he didn't play this year. Marcus Smith, Barcavius Mingo. I'm just trying to, 2012, Luke Keekley, 2012, because before him was Alec Ogletree, 72nd. 2012, Luke Keekley was the last time there was a good linebacker, and by the way, he just retired. The last time there was a first-round draft pick that's been worth anything might be Dante Hightower, drafted in the first round of 2012. His overall grade was a 68, so average, but he at least was 22nd overall. I mean, I listen, I would love for the Packers to take a first-round linebacker and to actually take this seriously and try to attack this thing, but the fact of the matter is linebackers are garbage. I don't know if they just have the hardest jobs in the world or if it's because they have to run and cover and you're only usually good at one. And finding truly diverse linebackers that can do both is nearly impossible. So if you're really good against the run, you're terrible against coverage. You just don't have a good grade overall. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going through this. There's only eight, uh, let's see, 20 players with a 70 overall grade or higher. Not one of them has been a first round draft pick in the last 10 years. That's if you don't include Luke Keekley, who just retired. All the big names that you've been excited about all these years. Why didn't we go out and get that linebacker? We should have got that linebacker. What about this linebacker? None of them are any good. So I suppose if I'm, you know, if I'm being honest, getting a solid linebacker in free agency makes sense. And now it sort of makes sense why maybe Quan Alexander and C.J. Mosley get such massive contracts. Because neither of those things made any sense to me. However, if you've got a guy that you think can actually play and fits your scheme, you pay him whatever it takes. Because you're probably not going to draft that guy. That you, it's, it's, You're throwing darts at a dartboard trying to draft a linebacker, apparently. Because all these phenom linebackers we've been hearing about are just not good. Van Der Esch was great for a year. Roquan's never been good, right? It just... Again, I think think about whoever it was that you were really excited about. You can maybe make a case for Devin uh, Bush. He's not top 32 or anything, but you know he's not the worst. But yeah, you know that's that's the only conclusion I can come to. We should go out heavy in free agency, and it you know not so much because oh this guy's gonna be able to do everything. He's not. We're probably gonna go out and get a guy. If we get a guy like Littleton, he's gonna be great in coverage. He's gonna be a liability against the run. But guess what? What are the odds we're gonna draft somebody that's good against the run and coverage? Pretty close to zero. Very close to zero. 
And you look at the, the phenom this year is Isaiah Simmons. Oh, I've never seen anything like it. I know, just like Roquan, just like all these other guys. We've never seen anything like it. The guy's a cornerback. He's a big, tall, long cornerback. He, if, he, if he's good at anything, he's probably going to be good in coverage. The odds that he's going to be this, this, finally we found the phenom, that's going to be great in coverage and great against the run, pretty small. And again, this is a guy that we'll never get because he's going to go top 10. And I'm excited about some of the other guys. And if we draft him, I'm going to be super jacked. I'm just telling you, the odds are not in our favor that he's going to be a very, very good linebacker. An upgrade? Yeah, maybe. But that he's going to be solid against the run and against the pass? Because you can find examples of first-round draft pick wide receivers that were dynamic, including several last year. You can find quarterbacks. You can find offensive linemen. You can find defensive. I I would assume this will be a thing for tomorrow. I would assume just about every single position you can find first-round draft picks that are producing. Linebacker, you cannot. And I'm, I'm stunned to have found that. But it's actually similar to what I found when I was trying to prove that drafting a kicker makes sense or a punter. It absolutely doesn't. Go through the list of the top punchers. Almost all of them were undrafted because I was trying to prove everybody wrong that it does make sense. It doesn't make sense. It might be a higher percentage. That's, that could be true, but it's hard to justify. Like I'm sure a first round linebacker, there's a better percentage of them being good than a fourth round linebacker, but it's still hard to justify draft you know using a first round pick on a position that you have like a what five percent chance of hitting on nah i'll wait i'll take my chances on a third or fourth round linebacker thanks very much makes me feel a lot less worse a lot less bad about oren burks he pretty much played up to expectations for a third round linebacker oh my goodness anyways i gotta get going bottom line is if you find a good linebacker out there and he's gonna leave his team pay him whatever he wants and have him come to your team because you're not gonna find him in the draft you, you can stumble on one, but the idea that just take the best one and he's going to be a freak, no, nah, that's not true. Luke Keekley was the last time that that came true, where it's like, this guy's a freak, and then you draft him, and it's like, yep, told you he's a freak. But every single time since then, you've been wrong. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.